In our world, your world and mine, there are a handful of very special people. Handful because unfortunately there are not enough of them, not very many, but special because they're able to do something that it seems like most people are unable to do. We live in a world where conflict is, is around us all the time. And in our age of electronic communication, communication is very free and is easy. And because much of it is electronic and not face-to-face, we have more and more hostile things written and said to each other. So these people, they're special because when things are heating up and about to burst into flame, they can cool things down. Or these are the people that when things are out of control, they stay in control. Whether they're engaged in the discussion or whether they're a bystander, when things are going out of control, other people are out of control, they can be in control. My favorite poem is Rudyard Kipling's If. I taught it to my sons when they were growing up, and there's a favorite line that I have out of that poem that says, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. And that's what these people are able to do. When everything is going crazy and people are out of control, they're in control. When things are crazy, they stay calm. And not only do they stay personally calm, they have the ability to calm other people down. Maybe this is the most specific word that I can use. They de-escalate. Every person here knows about conflict, I'm guessing, especially if, if you're of any age at all. If, you're ever, if you've ever been in a relationship, you've ever been married, you've got kids that you're raising, or you're in a work situation, all of us know that in conflict, there is a tipping point. You know, things are heating up. It starts out as a difference of view or a difference of the way of doing things, but then it gets hotter and hotter, and there's that tipping point, and we all know that when that when we go past that tipping point, we're going to World War III. And these people have a sense of knowing where that tipping point is, and they, they, they stop the discussion before it gets there, and they have a way of de-escalating. By the way, have you noticed that up until that tipping point, the disagreement is about what's at issue, but after that tipping point, it tends to turn personal. And so these are very smart people. They, when things are heating up, they cool things down. When things are out of control, they stay in control. When things are crazy, they stay calm. They even calm other people down, and they know how to de-escalate. They know how to step back from the brink. And whenever it's all over, the people that were in the room will say something like this, wow, I'm glad she was here, or I'm glad he was in the room, because these people are very special Well, that's our study today. We're looking at a queen from Bible times around 1000 BC, and her name is Abigail. Today's talk is called A-Game Abigail because Abigail always brings her A-Game, and the people in the room are glad that she was there. Well, let me just tell you, there are a couple things that make this weird. Maybe weird is the wrong word. Let's just say memorable. There are some strange, a couple of strange things about this story. And I wish somebody would do a movie about this because this movie would keep you in your seats. The first thing that I find strange about this is Abigail is going to be in a situation of conflict between her first husband and her second husband. And nobody knows that it's going to be her second husband yet, but that's where she is. This is a, there are three major players in our story, and it's Abigail, her first husband, and her second husband. I find that kind of interesting. The second thing that makes this especially interesting or strange to me is all this happens before she wears a crown. This whole story is going to take place before she was a queen. I would argue that the crown didn't make Abigail a queen. Abigail was a person who had royalty before everyone else recognized it. There was a magnificence about her. There was a beauty about her. There was a grandeur. There was a gravitas about Abigail that was there when she was just the wife of a, of a farmer. 
But ultimately, it's real easy to see when you look at her that she is on her way to wearing a crown. Well, I can't wait to tell you the story, but before I do, I need to give you a little bit of history because if I don't give you the history, the story won't make any sense. The timing in your Bible is right about the time of the end of the Judges. Um, When you look at the history of the nation of Israel, God brought them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And then for about 400 years, God said to the people, you will not need a king, I will be your king. Wow, wouldn't that be great to have a God who could do anything, who could provide anything? God said to Israel, I will be your king. And he, he raised up judges, men and women, who he would lead through. And that was what we see throughout the book of Judges. But at the end of that period of time, the people of Israel were saying to their judge at the time, who was the prophet of God, Samuel, they said, we want a king like other nations. Because they would see the ceremonial aspects, the grandeur of these ceremonies, and the king would ride out on a white horse, and everybody would ooh and ah and look at the king. And so they said to Samuel, we feel kind of insecure because we don't have a king. Give us a king. Well, Samuel was offended by that, and he prayed to God, and God said, Samuel, they haven't refused you or rejected you. They've rejected me. So God said, I'm going to give them what they want. This is a sermon for another day, but sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us is when we want something that's out of God's will, and God says, okay, I'll let you have it. Well, he gave them a king that looked good. He was seven feet tall. He was handsome, but he was an empty suit. And beyond that, he was immeasurably insecure. And from the very beginning of his reign, it seemed like he was bent on destroying his own kingdom. Finally, he just flipped God off too many times, and God said to the prophet Samuel, I'm finished with Saul. I'm tired of him, sick of him. I don't want him anymore. I want to anoint the guy that I had in mind all along. He's just a kid right now. He was still a teenager, probably in his late teens. But God said to Samuel, I want you to anoint the new king, and that king was David. That's important. He's in our story. A little quirky thing, though, when you think about it, because David was probably anointed in his late teens, and he did not become king until he's 30. So for 10, 11, 12 years, David is the heir apparent, so to speak, in God's viewpoint. He is anointed, but Saul is still on the throne, and Saul is descending into into more and more craziness. Well, it's at about that time of that anointing that David beats Goliath. And after he overcomes Goliath, Saul is impressed with him, and Saul actually turns the army over to David. And David is successful because God's hand is on him. He leads the army to victory over victory over their primary enemies, the Philistines. One day, David is leading the army back after a successful military engagement. And the women of the city were welcoming the soldiers home. They were singing. They had tambourines. And they were singing the song that somebody had written. And when Saul heard the song, he must have loved the first verse because the verse said, Saul has slain thousands. Saul's like, hey, that's catchy. That's a a good tune. That's going to be on the hip parade. So he liked that. But when when he heard the second verse, he wasn't quite as happy because the second verse said, David has killed ten thousands. And Saul freaked out. He thought, they're going to get rid of me, which is foolish because Saul was doing a pretty good job of getting rid of himself. But from that moment on, Saul hated David, and twice he tried to kill him. So ultimately, David realizes he's got to run for his life. So he goes from being the commander-in-chief or the head of the military to being hunted by his own army under the demented leadership of Saul. Well, while he's out on the run, a couple of times, Saul actually gets close enough to where David could have killed him, but David spared his life. 
And in that process of David's running, there's a collection of guys that just sort of hang on to David. I read this yesterday before the four o'clock service. The Bible says three things about these guys that, that hung around David and became part of his private army. These were guys who were in trouble, in debt, and unhappy. You ever feel like that's your posse sometimes? <laughs> in trouble, in debt, and unhappy. Well, at first there are about 400 of these guys, and then about 600. Now, just think with me for a moment. I know it's not our culture, but what do you do when you're a guy on the run, there's a price on your head, you got this little private army, how do you stay alive? Well, in those days, wealth was not measured in shares of stock or in currency. Wealth was, uh, it was a matter of livestock. And so very, very wealthy landowners who had a lot of livestock had a lot of wealth, but they were also very vulnerable because the greater their flocks, well, the more there were poachers and raiders. And so what would happen sometimes is these little private armies like David had, they would guard these estates, especially in a key time of vulnerability. And that's what David did. It was understood that when a private army guarded an estate, that that army could demand cash or they could demand a percentage during the payday. So with that in mind, we kind of have the story as it plays out, and we're now getting ready to meet our two characters. But before we do, I need to tell you something really unusual. David, who was a hero, in fact, when Jesus came into our world, he called himself the son of David. David, the guy who beats Goliath, the guy who goes on to be the great king of Israel, David is going to be a problem in this story. How do, I mean, if you read 1 Samuel, he's never been a problem before. But in our story, David is going to be a problem. Why is he a problem? Well, I've already kind of given you part of it. He's under pressure. But if you look at the beginning of chapter 25, and the Bible never wastes words, at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 25, before we get into today's story where David's going to be a problem, the Bible tells us that Samuel died. Ooh, pay attention to that. Why? Because David, it was in the hopes that this spiritual leader of Israel, whom Saul had respected, David was in the hopes that maybe Samuel could get through to Saul, and maybe he could stop Saul from chasing David down like, like he was an animal. But at the beginning of our story, Samuel died, and David is like, okay, I don't have anybody to speak for me anymore. And the pressure builds on him until he ultimately is going to be the problem in our story. Let me ask you a question. You ever crash under pressure? Maybe that's too strong a question. Let me ask you this. Did you ever act out of character when you were under pressure? You ever wind up saying something you wouldn't normally say when you're under pressure? You ever wind up doing something you wouldn't normally do when you're under pressure? I ask you to consider that because I want you to have some understanding for David. But make no mistake about it. This great hero is going to be a problem in the story. And if it hadn't been for A-game Abigail, I'm not even sure David would have had a kingdom. Just file that away. With that in mind... Let's meet our characters. 1 Samuel chapter 25, the second verse, the Bible says there was a wealthy man who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. It was sheep sharing time. The man's name was Nabal. His wife Abigail was sensible and beautiful, but Nabal was crude and mean in all his dealings. Well, if your name is Abigail or Abby, in the Hebrew, that word means daddy's pride and joy or father's joy. By extension, it can also mean leader of the dance. You sort of get the feeling Abigail is this sort of beautiful, almost lyrical, sweet personality, and yet the Bible goes on to give us two more characteristics. The Bible says that she was sensible and beautiful. Hey, sensible and beautiful don't always go together, whether you're talking about a male or a female, right? 
There are some beautiful people that are not very smart. But Abigail was both beautiful and sensible. But it wasn't just a physical beauty, although she had that. It was a sort of, it was almost sort of a radiance around her. There, she, my grandmother used to say it this way. Sometimes my grandmother would compliment a woman and say, she has beautiful ways. And I think that was Abigail. Abigail had beautiful ways. And it, it came out most of all when she talked. Do you ever know anyone like that? I mean, it's like when you have a conversation with them, you cannot wait to talk to them because you're going to feel like you've been given a gift just by spending some time in a conversation with that person. You know what it's like sometimes to have a conversation, you feel like you've just been robbed? Well, with Abigail, you just felt like you were given a gift if she talked to you. There was a beauty about her, and that beauty is going to come out over and over when she talks. Now, Jesus coaches us up as to why that happens. In Luke 6, 45, he says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Hey, that's Jesus. That's Jesus talking. That's true. So in other words, if a person is mean and angry and throwing the F-bomb around, well, you just got to look at that person's heart. Because Jesus said, whatever's in the heart overflows to the mouth. On the other hand, if there's a beauty in the way a person talks, it's because there's beauty in that person's thinking. In the book of Philippians, I love that book. If you haven't learned to love it yet, fall in love with it. It's only four chapters. It'll probably take you less than half an hour to read the book. I call it my antidepressant. You find any Bible I've got, Philippians is worn out. But there's a beautiful statement in Philippians. It says that if there's anything that is true or right or pure or lovely or noble, the Bible says, think on these things. So if you want to have this beauty of speech like Abigail did, then you're going to have to have a beautiful mind. And the way to have a beautiful mind is to think about beautiful things. There's so much ugly in our culture today, isn't there? So much anger and hate and polarization and profanity and just lewdness. It's a challenge to keep your mind on beautiful things. Well, that's Abigail. You know, just me talking here, this is not in the Bible, but I just wonder if Abigail was really her given name. Because you know what? People like Abigail tend to get their name based on what they did. She, she may have been named Abigail. It could have been something else. But I just had this feeling I can see her, you know, running around the house with all this joy and that smile that turns on all the lights. I can see her hop up into her dad's lap, and I see her dad look at her and say, you know what you are? You're your daddy's pride and joy. That's Abigail. But now we meet her husband. His name is Nabal. Nabal means, hey, I'm not making this up. His name means fool. That's it, Fool. And the Bible says he was crude and mean. Now, here's what I want to know. How does daddy's joy get married to fool? <laughs> well, I know what some of you are thinking. You say, well, Mark, there were arranged marriages in those days, and you're right. But I've noticed that it still happens today. Sometimes daddy's joy gets married to fool. <laughs> now, here's where I really wonder about this given name thing. I wonder if that was his given name or it's just something that he got called over time. Because you know what? When you have the baby and you're in the birthing suite and you have the little sweet thing in the bassinet, you don't call that baby fool. That takes time. <laughs> you know, I just run around the house doing stupid things. You remember the show on MTV, Jackass? I mean, that's just sort of Nabal's life. <laughs> Who is that? That's fool. <laughs> Who's driving that car? Fool. Who said that? Fool. 
But the weird thing about Nabal, it's almost like at some point he began to embrace that. It's like he goes down the tattoo parlor and says, I want a big tattoo across my chest. What do you want on there, fool? <laughs> let, let, me, <laughs> let me tell you what I've watched a lot through the years. I asked the question, how does daddy's joy get married to fool? I've seen this play out. Here, here's, here's Abigail. You know, I, I didn't grow up like he grew up. I grew up in a family of love and I was always called daddy's pride and joy, and we had a lot of happy days. And look at that. He, he's got called fool all his life. Maybe he just never had a chance. Maybe, maybe nobody ever loved. What he needs is a love of a good woman. Oh, there are a lot of bad stories that begin like that. Because Nabal's problem is not that he didn't get opportunity. His problem is he's a fool. Well, let's let this story develop then. You've met the characters. Here we go. Got your Bible, 1 Samuel 25. Got an electronic device. Get your app up and running. Verse 4 says, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Look, look how happy David is. Peace and prosperity to you and your family and everything you own. I'm told it's shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them. Nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your men. They'll tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we've come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions that you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. Verse 9, David says David's men waited for the reply. Now, now check this out. David didn't present a bill. He didn't say, you owe us cash. He didn't say, we want a percentage of your, of your shearing. He just said, look, if you got any food left over that you would share with us, it would be so nice. Look at Nabal's response. Verse 10. Who's this fellow David? Nabal sneered. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. So you know the situation between David and Saul? For Nabal to characterize it as, a, as somebody that just ran away, that, boy, you can understand why David got mad. Who is this fellow David? Who does the son of Jesse think he is? Lots of servants run away. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered from my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Well, David didn't react well. I mean, David hears that, and he's ready to open up a can right there. Look at this. Verse 20, chapter 25, verse 13, get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped his on. David said, a lot of good it did me to help this guy. We protected his flocks in the wilderness. Nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. Ooh, does this sound like David to you? We're just talking about a guy who spared the life of the king who was out to kill him. And David now is not only wanting to kill Nabal, he's wanting to kill all the innocent servants of Nabal that he's been protecting all this time. But that's the nature of anger, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that when we get angry, we don't tend to build things, we tend to, tend to smash things? And David's in a smashing mood right now. Well, the servants of Nabal, look at this. One of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been good to us, never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was ever stolen when they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can talk to him. Well, I'm about to jump into eight lessons that A-game Abigail is going to teach us real quickly. And this isn't one of the lessons, but it strikes me that the servants know who to talk to. You get that too? 
I mean, here's the thing. Some of you are, in, you are Abigails. I mean, again, this is not about gender. You can be male or female. But some of you are Abigails, and you don't have the title. You don't have the parking place. You don't have the income. But where you work, people know just to come. If there's a problem, they come talk to you. They know, they know that you're the person to talk to. They know who they can't talk to. Doesn't do any good to talk to him. But they know to talk to you. That's Abigail. Okay, you ready? We're going to... Abigail is about to open her classroom in the Jesus School of Conflict Management. We're going to see eight things Abigail does. We're going to get on our horse and we're going to ride. We're going to look at these verses and then we're going to extract the lessons. Here is number one. From verse 18, the Bible says, Abigail wasted no time. Hey, when things are heating up, it's not time to slow down. Uh, It may be time to slow down the others, as we'll see in a moment. But it's the time to act. Here's lesson number one. Crises demand urgency. Waiting until it's too late can make a good plan useless. So when Abigail hears what's going on, lesson number one, she wasted no time. Crises demand urgency. Here we go. Number two. We read this a moment ago. The servant said to Abigail, you need to know this and figure out what to do. Lesson number two. Crises demand a plan and not reaction. When you look at this story, everybody's reacting David's reacting, Nabal's reacting, things are blowing up and getting out of control. Abigail understands that what's needed is is a plan, and the servants say to her, you need to figure out what to do. In other words, there's some thought that needs to go into this. Well, that raises a question. We just saw with number one that you have to be urgent. How do you develop a plan in a sense of urgency? This morning at breakfast, Mary Alice was reading scripture to me, And she read a marvelous verse out of Proverbs 17, verse 24, and I loved what it had to say, and I wanted to share it in today's services. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 24, a sensible person is glued to wisdom. Now, what did the Bible say about Abigail when we first read that she is sensible and beautiful? What what do we learn from Proverbs 17, 24? A sensible person is glued to wisdom. Why the term glued? Because in our culture today, there are voices that scream at us from every angle, and so much of what we hear is silly. So much of what we hear hear is prattle and useless and unimportant and, and frankly, stupid. So in this cacophony of sound that comes to us from every quarter, sensible people know that you're going to have to intentionally and strategically keep your mind on wisdom. And here is the thing. If you Think in wise thoughts all the time. When the crisis comes, you're going, to have the, you're going to have the account to pull from in order to come up with a plan. Uh, in fact, if you're looking for wisdom, the great place to start is the Bible. And the best place in the Bible to start is the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters of wisdom. Some people will read the chapter that corresponds with the day of the month because in Proverbs is so much wisdom for life. And so I love this. Abigail knew that it was important to demand, to develop a plan and not a reaction. What Abigail does is she gets together a whole lot of food and gets it ready to take it out to David and his men. Now, lesson number three, chapter 25, verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Wow, this is really great. We could have a whole sermon just on this one. Did you notice that Abigail said two things? Look at the dichotomy there in her two statements. The first thing she said to David was, I accept all the blame here. Was Abigail to blame? No. Did Abigail know that David knew she was not at fault? Yeah. So in the first statement, she's she's doing what? And this is our lesson. 
She's slowing things down. You know, what happens to us when we get angry and we're in the heat of a conflict, things tend to speed up. Sometimes that's the last time things need to speed up because we, have, we saw this in number two. We have a plan that needs to be executed. So Abigail slows David down. She knows that he's angry. He's getting ready to kill a bunch of people. And so Abigail says, hey, put it on me. But then notice the second thing that she said. She said, please listen to what I have to say. Did you notice that very quietly Abigail is taking control of the situation? Not in an in-your-face kind of way, but there is, I'll take responsibility for this. Now, please listen to what I have to say. Very quietly, Abigail now has moved into the prominent position in this discussion. So, lesson number three, slowing things down. Number four, (laughs) chapter 25, verse 25. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Verse 25, he is a fool, just as his name suggests. Now, when Abigail says to David, I know my husband is a fool, is she ripping her husband? No, no, no. What she is saying to David is something that you and I need to hear. Abigail is saying, look, he's unreasonable, he's a fool. Don't expect reasonable from an unreasonable person. See, here's the deal. Most of us find ourselves in David's spot. We're not Nabal's. We're not hateful, angry people. We're good people, and we want to do the right thing, and ordinarily we do the right thing, but then the pressure builds up, and we find ourselves in a, in a highly charged conflict, and we find ourselves in, in a conflict with somebody like Nabal, and the problem is we get angrier and angrier because what we're getting is unreasonable. We're expecting reasonable from an unreasonable person. Hey, Jesus called it, he said it like this, <laughs> very graphic. He said, don't throw your pearls to pigs. He said, they'll trample the pearls and turn around and attack you. Well, Jesus' point, he's not talking about actual pearls and actual pigs. When he's talking about pigs, he's talking about certain people. And he's not just insulting people. He's just saying, look, there are people, it's their nature to be what they are. This is silly, but maybe it'll help us. Have you ever been around pigs? My grandfather used to have pigs and he used to slop the pigs. I'd go out with them and they'd be in this They'd be in this muck. They'd be in this mud. And you know, you could say, you know, I feel bad for this pig. He's out here in this mud and he can't be comfortable. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this pig out of the mud and I'm going to hose him down and clean him all off and put talcum powder on him, make him smell real good, you know, and put a red bow around his neck. We're going to bring the pig into the house and make him a pet. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. When you open the door, the pig is going to go right back to the hog pen with your red ribbon on him. Because it's his nature. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying saying there there are people who are difficult because it's their nature to be difficult. There are people that are hostile because it's their nature to be hostile. There are people who are hateful because it's their nature to be hateful. And Jesus is saying, don't throw your pearls to pigs. Now, what are pearls? What is a pearl? A pearl is something valuable. It's something priceless. It's something that's achieved through difficulty. A pearl is made because an oyster gets a little bit of sand or grit in a tender in tender tissue, and it secretes a substance that ultimately becomes a pearl. And Jesus is saying, you have pearls. There are things that are priceless. There are things that are special, things that are valuable to you, things that weren't given to you. You earned them. You got them the hard way. Jesus is saying, don't take those precious things and cast them to a pig because the pig doesn't value them. The pig will trample them and turn around and charge you. You know, this could be a lesson here all by itself. 
Do you notice that when Abigail says to David, don't expect reasonable from an unreasonable person, what she's doing is she's drawing a distinction between David and Nabal. They're similar in the fact that they're both angry, but that's where the similarity ends. The character is so different. And and you're going to watch as Abigail begins to gently summon David to recognize that the way he's acting is not who he is. And so she says to him, hey, Nabal's just being who he is. He's doing what he does. He is a fool. He's being a fool. You're not a fool. So, how, when you're a David, how do you deal with the Nabal? Because, you know, they want to pull you. And one of the greatest things, one of the greatest sayings anyone ever gave me when I was a kid, I was told, never get into a fight with a pig in a pig pen because you both get dirty and only the pig will enjoy it. I think that's what Abigail is telling David. Look at this. I know Nabal's a wicked, ill-tempered man. Please, here's our, here's our answer. Don't pay any attention to him. Wow. This is dicey, but I'm going to go here. We almost feel that it's incumbent upon us when someone sends us a message that we have to respond to it. In the name of Jesus, could I free you from that? You do not have to respond to every message. You don't have to react to every post that someone makes about you. You don't have to answer every email. You don't have to answer every text. Sometimes silence is eloquent. Silence can say you don't even deserve a reply. And that's what Abigail is saying to David. Look, the guy is who he is. He's a fool. He's comfortable being a fool. You're not a fool. Don't even pay any attention to him. Lesson number five, verse 26. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies be like. What what, what Abigail is doing is she's bringing God into this. Did you hear that? Twice she mentions the Lord. See, here's the thing. David doesn't mention the Lord at all when he's strapping his sword on and he's going to go kill these guys. He's sort of forgotten who he belongs to. Do you see the genius of Abigail? Abigail reminds David that God is at work here. Why do we get summoned into conflicts and say and do things that are out of character for us? It's because for a brief moment we forget who we are. And we forget that God is at work here. Our lives are not in the hands of the person who has it in for us. Our lives are in God's hands. And so Abigail reminds David that God is here. Number six, this, I think this is my favorite. Verse 28, Abigail says, because you are fighting the Lord's battles and you've not done wrong throughout your entire life. It is essential in a crisis to remember where the real battles are. <laughs> you know, Abigail's sweet about this, but if I were David, I'd be a little embarrassed with what Abigail says. Abigail is basically saying, aren't you the guy that beat Goliath? What are you doing down here messing with a fool? You're the, you fight the Lord's battles. You, you, you've been fighting the Philistines. You've been, you've been doing the Lord's work. Why are, you losing, why are you losing who you are? Because you're in an argument and a conflict with somebody who doesn't matter at all. Oh, I need this so much. Because I can be having a wonderful day doing God's work and be out here on K96 and somebody can throw up a one-finger salute at me and it'll mess up my afternoon. (laughs) Fair? I mean, you know, somebody can just say something to me, catch me wrong or laugh or something. It's so easy to get sucked into that, isn't it? And I love what Abigail's saying. Abigail's like saying, remember who you are. 
Remember what's really at stake. Remember what the really important things are. You don't need to lower yourself to get into this pig fin and fight with the pig. You're God's servant. God has called you to do great things. You're God's daughter. You're God's son. Be about the things that God has called you to. Don't get into little petty conflicts. Number seven, verse 28. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. You've not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. Look at the first line. The Lord will surely reward you with the lasting dynasty. Lesson number seven is look past this moment and remember that God has a future for you. When I started this message, I told you there are special people in the world, a handful of them, not many. And when things are out of control, they can stay in control. When things are heating up, they can stay cool. They know that tipping point, and they're able to de-escalate. What is it about them that makes them able to do that? This is real easy. Well, let's put it this way. It's simple. It's not easy, but it, it's simple. It's easy to know the answer. What do those people have? We all know them, hopefully. They're always able to see today's conflict in the context of the future. They're able to contextualize. They're able to to have perspective. And when the argument is blowing up today, they realize this is not the end of the world. There's, There's The sun's coming up tomorrow morning, and the sun is coming up a year from now. And so I'm not going to let this little conflict become the be-all and then the end-all narrative. And so when David is losing it, he's, he's about to do something so awful and so bloody that God might not allow him to be king. He may be threatening his destiny. Abigail is saying, look, you have a future. Look past this moment and remember that you have a future. On a practical level, for all of you who are married, isn't it strange how that we can say the most hurtful thing we've ever said to the person we love most in the world? You know why we do? Because we're only thinking in that moment. We're not looking to tomorrow morning and realizing I'm still going to be in a relationship. I'm still going to be married to this person. And even though oftentimes what happens, you know, in that kind of conflict is we say these hurtful things and then we make up, but oftentimes those words and deeds have echo effect that lasts for years. See, this handful of special people, they're able to look past today's conflict and see a future. And Abigail is saying to David, wait a minute, stop, slow down. Before you take out your sword and you kill all these innocent people, remember this, God has a future for you. And now I want to move quickly to the eighth lesson because there's a baton pass here we don't want to miss. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 30, when the Lord has done all he promised and he's made you leader of Israel... Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and violence. Lesson number eight. Abigail told David, basically she said, you're going somewhere and you don't want to take this with you where you're going. Hey, sons and daughters of God, you're going somewhere. You know what? You don't want to act out of character and do something that is going to cause guilt later on. You're going somewhere. You don't want to take this where you're going. And Abigail tells that to David. And so now we get to the end of the story, and we'll close this up pretty quickly here. I want you to see David's response, because for me, David's response is more about Abigail than David. 
Because David is now going to reveal his reaction to all these lessons that Abigail coached him up on. David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of it. Now David's talking about God. Abigail coached him to do that. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who kept me from hurting you, if you had not hurried out to meet me, remember lesson one, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have the final sentence in bold letters in my notes. David said, and like I said, this is way more about Abigail than David. David said, I have heard what you said. Hey, whenever you have a difference of point of view or a difference in the way of doing things that could potentially lead to a conflict, what's the win? Is the win that you can get someone else to do what you want them to do? Or is the win that you get that person to listen to you? Hey, if Abigail had run out of the house saying, who do you think you are threatening all these innocent men? I mean, she would have been technically correct. Abigail could have said, said some of these things, but notice the skill and the wisdom and the way that she not only said these things, but she said them in a way that David would listen to her coaching. For me, when David says, I have heard what you have to say, I want to say, way to go, Abigail. Way to go. You are a genius. No wonder you're headed for a crown. No wonder you're headed for a throne. This is royalty in motion. I've heard what you said. Well, what happened? I'll finish up with this. Well, Nabal really doesn't know that Abigail's done all this. He's in the process of putting together a kegger. And... Um, Because it's shearing time. And he gets so drunk, he passes out. <laughs> Can you imagine anger issues and substance issues? Well, some of you may be able to imagine that. I don't know. <laughs> but he's so drunk, he passes out. Abigail waits till he sobers up. And when he's good and sober, Abigail tells him how close he came to getting his head taken off. And I don't know if it's anger or rage or, or just shock or whatever it was, but Nabal had a stroke. And for 10 days, he lingered between life and death, paralyzed. And on the 10th day, he died. So let's pick it up there. Verse 20, 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord who avenged the insult I received and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sins. Look at this. Here it is. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. Yeah. Abigail's headed to become queen of Israel. I love this story because it so syncs up with Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Kingdom Manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Abigail is a peacemaker. When you and I make peace... We're probably more like Jesus than we are at any other time. Because the quintessential peacemaker is not Abigail, as great as she was. The quintessential peacemaker is Jesus Christ. Every single one of us were sinners. And because of our sin, we were separated from God. I remember hearing the story many years ago of a little girl who was dying. And her parents 
were separated and there was a real hostility between them. But as she was, as she was on her deathbed, her dad on one side and her mom on the other side, the little girl had each hand in her own hand and then she brought them together on top of her. I really believe that picture is what Jesus did. When a holy God could not come to sinful Mark and a sinful Mark could not change and be worthy of a sinful God, Jesus came, or of a holy God, Jesus came into our world and he lived a perfect life and then he died on the cross and with his hands outstretched, he took one hand and held on to God and the other hand and took hold of you and me and he brings us together through his death on the cross. In fact, the Bible says he made peace through his death on the cross. There is no reason for any person in this auditorium, North Auditorium, watching on television, watching online, there's no reason for anybody to be separated from God because Jesus has made peace. His blood paid the price. You hear what Abigail said, put the blame on me. And Jesus said when he died on the cross, put the blame on me. Charge it to my account. That's why we sing that song, Jesus paid it all. And if you're here today and you want to have a relationship with God, there's no reason to be in conflict anymore. Jesus has made peace on the cross. Three days later, he arose from the grave and he is king of kings and lord of lords. And if you will put your life in his trust and put your confidence and believe on him, you can have everlasting life. You say, Mark, I'm not sure I understand it all. You know, God simply said, ask. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if you want to have a peace with God that lasts forever, hey, we're not about religion here. Religion is about jumping through hoops. Relationship with God is something that God gives us. And if you want to have that, I want you to put your hands, your life in the hands of the peacemaker, Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'll pray it slowly. You can decide if you want to own it and pray it after me. What matters is what you have in your heart. Ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. I want to have peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a gift bag. It's got a Bible just like I preach from, a book I wrote, a DVD. All you got to do is go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark, and they will give you this. They won't hassle you or bother you at all. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend.